Hey everyone, great news. Kitchen Table Magic is now on Hipsters of the Coast. They're the mages with the curly beards and the vegan potion options. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. They have a unique perspective on things, and Kitchen Table Magic is honored to be joining their lineup. If you're listening to me right now from Hipsters of the Coast, I'm pleased to meet you. You're going to love all of the guests I have lined up for Season 3. And be sure to check out past episodes at kitchentablemagic.org. If you're new to the Hot Sea blog, head on over to hipstersofthecoast.com to get strategy and content for all of your favorite formats. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. They invite you to join their in-store stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for weekly legacy and standard events. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by CardKingdom.com. Are you looking for a modern, legacy, commander, or standard staple? Card Kingdom has it in stock. Looking for that perfect dino to crew your pirate ship helicopter aether train? Ixalan is out now, so order your singles from our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash KTM. Josh, could you please introduce yourself? How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. I am the co-host of the Command Zone podcast and uh, director, co-creator of Game Nights. Josh, where does uh, how's it come from? Well, I, I don't want to say that it comes from here, but where I found it from is it's a common phrase in pidgin English, which is what they speak in Hawaii. And my dad was born and raised on the island of Oahu. So how's it is sort of a local greeting on the islands. And I've heard from other people in New Zealand and, and South Africa also where that's something they say there. So I don't know if Hawaiians can claim that it comes from there, but that's where sort of I became familiar with it. It's just something my dad said growing up and I, I kind of picked up. That's really cool because I grew up in Hawaii. And so I suspected that you were possibly from Hawaii or had roots, but I didn't know. Oh, you grew up in Hawaii. Where at, Sam? Right in the foothills of Manoa, like where UH Manoa was. And then I grew up uh, and then I went to middle school on the east side of the island. So near like Hawaii Kai, all my friends went to New Valley and Kaiser. Yeah, grew up spending all my time on a beach, basically. Which beach, Sandy? Yes, Sandy Beach was like a great, but I get my ass kicked a lot because I didn't really oh. surf because it was just like, you know, if you're not careful, right? But like some of the other beaches as well, there was another one that was like kind of towards like Sea Life Park and it had like a little lighthouse and you like walk down. Yeah, that one. I grew up going to Makapu'u too. I actually lived in Hawaii for um, about seven or eight months a few years ago. Ooh. So, I'm pretty familiar with the island. I got tons of family over there. I love it. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I just, that's like my favorite place to vacation and be. And I know a lot of people are just like, Hawaii is kind of cliche because it's like super touristy. But since like as a local, like obviously I go to all the local places and it's like just heaven on earth for me. Yeah, if if, if people don't ever leave Waikiki, they don't really know what Hawaii is. Yeah. What kind of food do you miss the most about Hawaii? Oh, boy. Um, Well, local food, of course. Uh, You don't get good mac salad over uh, on the mainland very often. Nope. Yeah, that's that's surprisingly hard to find. You know, like uh, Pipicala short ribs at Helena's, which is one of my favorite places to eat. Um, Really miss that. Um, Yeah, those are kind of my, I'd say my big two that I sort of think about or daydream about a lot. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I daydream about like the Foodland Poke Counter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like... You got the Maka'i card? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they have like 20 different kinds. And I just stare. I just stare. And I'm just like, oh, I just want all of it. And it's like, oh, it's so bad. But so good. Yeah, you're making me miss home, man. <laughs> yeah. I would just sit on the beach all day long. It's like mac salad, teriyaki chicken, poke, and then like dull pineapple whip. I'm just like a fiend for that stuff. <laughs> so It's oh. a good thing I don't live there anymore because I'd be 500 pounds. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And I'm real thin. 
in. So I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I have a long way to go to get Hawaiian fat again. So <laughs> thanks, Josh. I appreciate that. Okay, awesome. Well, clearly the sound sounds great. We'll just jump right in, okay? Okay. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to Josh Lee Kwai, co-host of the Command Zone podcast and Game Nights. Josh is a professional in the movie industry, and you might have seen his work from Disney princess movies, The Fast and the Furious, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and Star Wars. Running for over 180 episodes, Josh and Jimmy are the co-hosts of The Command Zone, a weekly podcast about all things Commander. Josh brings his special effects wizardry to the realm of magic to direct and produce Game Nights, a YouTube series that's leading the way with live gameplay footage of magic. Josh also has a special Patreon supporters gift, so stick around towards the end. I hope you enjoy my conversation with one of the innovative minds behind The Command Zone and Game Nights, Josh Lee Kwai. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm with the magical content magician, Josh Lee Kwai. Josh, how are you doing? How's it? Thanks for having me on, Sam. It's a real pleasure. Oh, I love it. Where are you joining us from? I am in Los Angeles, California. Well, just outside, uh, just south of Pasadena, actually. But we just say Los Angeles because most people don't know all the little boroughs. Thank you so much for being on the show. And listeners, if you don't already know, Josh is the co-host of the incredible hit podcast, The Command Zone with Jimmy Wong, as well as Game Nights. And uh, I got to say, Josh, every single time I watch Game Nights, what I'm like watching, I'm like frothing at the mouth to play EDH because everything is just so much fun. Yeah, (laughs) I'm glad you say that because that means mission accomplished for us. That's really the feeling that we're trying to capture. And if you haven't seen the show, I think the best YouTube and video representation of an actual game of magic. It's incredibly detailed, it's incredibly nuanced, and it's also very faithful to all the visual mechanics of a complex game of EDH or Commander. I mean, you're putting on tokens, things are getting plus one, plus one counters, things are getting minus one, minus one counters, abilities are triggering. I mean, there's a lot going on, and you are the content and special effects magician that really puts it all together along with Jimmy Wong, to make something that's really complicated seem really fun, digestible, and interactive, and it's very easy to follow along the storyline. So it's a tremendous job. Well, that's, I'm, you know, I'm happy with everything you said there because our biggest goal with Game Nights was to make magic watchable and easily digestible for people who are either not super enfranchised or even people that, you know, don't play magic. I mean, a big thing about any successful sport or game that is, well, successful is that those things can be watched by people that didn't play the thing. So, like, football is like the most, in the States anyway, is, you know, by far and away the most popular sport. But 90% of the people watching football never played football. They don't know what a nickel defense is. You know, they don't really know even what holding or offsides is. But that doesn't matter because you can still watch the game. And so, I think Game Nights is trying to capture that in a way, that ability to watch it and enjoy it without knowing every single little nuance. But if you don't do know the nuances, you know, of course, you get all that too. So, that's kind of the juggling act that we're always, you know, trying to accomplish. 
Yeah, that is really wonderful because that spectrum of nuanced and just not nuanced and just like very obvious, Game Nights does a great job balancing that. And, you know, Josh, you're one of the masterminds behind that. And just like all things, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So we want to go to the beginning. Where did you grow up and how did you find magic? Uh, I grew up in a little town outside of Portland, Oregon, a town called Camby. Um, it was very small. I think growing up there was less than 4,000 people. It's it's ballooned now. It's exploded. There's like 14,000 people or something. It's still teeny tiny. But that was where I learned to play Magic for the first time. I was in high school. I'm going to date myself, but I was a sophomore in high school. It was either late 93 or early 94 when a friend came to me and um, he was like, there's this game and we're playing it and we're having a lot of fun, but there's five different colors and we only have four people. So, do you want to come play? Because you can be the fifth color. And I was like, okay, what color? What are you talking about? And he's like, it's a card game. It's called Magic. So, I sat down and of course, this was, I think Unlimited was the set they had the most cards from. And I just borrowed somebody's cards. And of course, they gave me the color green, which was the worst color then. But for some reason, I still loved it, even though I, they handed me the worst color. So <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting because uh, you said that you grew up in Canby. I grew up in West Lynn. <laughs> you grew up in West Lynn? Oh, you guys are the enemies, the rivals. But still, it's just like, I can't believe that <laughs> we like grew up in the same places. That's basically. pretty funny. Actually, I grew up going to church in West Lynn. Wow. So West Lynn Lutheran Church was my, my church uh, all growing up. So, I had a ton of family friends that uh, to this day still live in West Lynn, honestly. Wow, that's so cool. But not to digress from the magic story, but they were like, hey, join us. And then you picked up green as a color and joined the play group. And you know what's funny is we played multiplayer magic from basically the very first game I ever played was just five people sitting around playing. And, you know, in those days, the rules to magic were a lot more nebulous. Um, it was actually kind of hard to figure out a lot of the rules. I remember we played Giant Growth as a, as an enchantment, basically, because the early Giant Growth card like didn't say the words until end of turn on it, and uh -huh. we didn't really know. So, there was a whole bunch of mistakes like that, but it didn't matter. The game was fun, even though some of the rules we played by at that time were not correct. We still loved it. And I played for a, a little while with their cards before I owned my own cards. And, um, you know, eventually, as we got more into it, we would start picking up the Duelist magazines and some other stuff. And we started understanding the rules better. And uh, when the set Legends came out, that was where I saw these multicolored cards. And that was where I decided like, okay, I got to buy my own cards now. So, so Legends was the first set where I actually remember buying packs and uh, sort of owning my own cards. Wow, that is really cool. Do you remember some of the first rares or some of the first booster crack opening things that you got? Well, I, I, I've told this story on my show before, but you know, something that's funny to people now, or I don't know if it's funny, it's, it's, it's actually kind of horrifying, which is I do remember uh, a point in my life where I looked in the case at a local store and there was a Black Lotus and I believe it was like $12 at that point. <laughs> um, but for that same price, I could get like four or five packs of Legends and... I remember people telling me that Black Lotus was like the best card in Magic and, and we sort of knew that, but I didn't really understand why. I mean, I was I was a kid. I didn't really understand what made it so good. Like, I remember seeing like a Mox Emerald and going like, why don't I just play another Forest? Like, I don't understand why that card is worth like eight or nine dollars. So, I actually decided, I remember making the decision of like, I'm not going to buy the Black Lotus. I'm going to buy five packs of Legends or four packs of Legends or whatever it was. So, to this day, I sort of rue that because I could have a Black Lotus, although I probably wouldn't still have it. So, whatever. To answer your question, the first rare I really remember opening of my own was Dakon Blackblade. It has sweet art. Uh, I don't remember exactly what he does. I just remember he looks really cool and there's a statue of him inside of Wizards of the Coast. So, that's one of my earliest memories of like a card that I got it and I was like, this card is sweet. 
Yeah, yeah, it is really, really sweet. I don't remember what he does either, but I know that he's pretty badass. And I didn't know that that Wizards had a statue. Yeah, it's. Um, I got to go on a tour of Wizards at PAX last year, and uh, Mark Rosewater actually gave the tour. So we're going through, and there's a point where he stands next to the statue, and the whole time through the tour, he's pausing and sort of quizzing the group, you know, because it's all mad. You know, the professor's there, and Maria Bartholdi's there, and a whole bunch of content creators are there, and uh, so he keeps pausing and and like this painting does everybody anybody know what card this is does anybody know what this is a reference to and blah blah blah. and everybody else is way better at this game than me but when he stood next to the statue i was like please ask about it please ask about it please ask about it <laughs> and he was like does anybody know what this statue is and before he even said he's like does anybody know what this stat dark out black light i know it <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the, you got extra marrow brownie points? I think he was like, "Whoa, geez, dude, dial it down a notch." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "I'm the bombastic one. Like, chill out, dude." <laughs> That's too funny. Wow, that is hilarious. Okay, so as you kind of grew up and like went to college and like became an adult and kind of did whatever, you kept on playing Magic? No, I, I did what I think a lot of people do, which is it was sometime around Mirage. I remember Mirage, I remember phasing, but I remember at that point in time, I was already starting to play Magic less. Um, and this was my early years of college, I believe. You know, my friend who had originally introduced me to the game had moved and gone to a different college. And so we were sort of traveling once in a while every few weekends with a couple of my friends. We'd go over there and we would play Magic sometimes. But, you know, you get older and things happen at college and you get into different things. And, you know, we kind of fell away from the game. Um, and I really did not come back to the game until the Innistrad block. So I took a big, long hiatus where I just didn't play at all. And, and Magic wasn't even really on my radar during that time. Yeah, same here. I did take a pretty big long hiatus myself and I came back at uh, Rise of the Eldrazi. Oh, you lucky dog. Just in time to figure figure out things and things had really changed. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh. Yeah, that's that set is one of my favorite draft sets of all time though. So you, you got lucky. The level up stuff is really fun because you have like yeah. one and you can kind of keep uh, devoting your resources into it. Yep. And so Josh, tell us a little bit more about yourself kind of professionally because we know you're very good with video production and film and special effects. Just where did you get that background? Um, I actually grew up in Canby. So in my small town, my dad uh, ran the local access cable channel. That was his job. And so I'm one of those kids that just grew up with a camera in their hand. You know, this is a long time ago. So people didn't just have cameras on their video cameras on their phone all the time. Having a old VHS, you know, camcorder was a lot more rare. In fact, VCRs in the house were pretty rare at that time. So when I was very little, five years old or so, I, I have videos from then of me making, you know, homemade videos in the backyard and stuff. And I learned to edit when I was pretty young. And I just always had access to some level of equipment because of my dad's job. And so I was always interested in movies and movie making. And my dad, of course, is a big movie fan as somebody who runs a local, a local access uh, cable channel you would expect to be. And so we were always at movies on the weekends and things like that. And I don't remember at what point I decided that I wasn't going to be an NBA basketball player. So I would have to switch my career um, ambitions to film or video, but it was somewhere in my teenage years. And, uh, you know, I sort of never looked back. That's really, really cool. Okay. And uh, you grew up, went to college and started doing film type things? Or did you, like, when did you kind of join that industry? You know, uh, the school I went to was very small, didn't have a film department. So I was sort of forced to be a theater major. And, you know, I'd done theater in high school because it's it's similar to film. And, you know, I ended up doing a lot of improv and having a lot of fun with that. And I had a friend who was in the theater program with me who actually got accepted to uh, USC to the film school there. 
And so he moved away and went to film school and I went to visit him at one point and just being in LA, uh, LA is a funny place. So I just remember going to a restaurant and like we're waiting in line for the restaurant and there's somebody, you know, holding their script in their hand and talking with their agent and, you know, and we sat down at the table and, and Michael Clark Duncan was like three tables over and it just felt like the whole town was just like talking about movies and everybody was very creative and you could overhear snippets of conversations and it was everybody just talking about an audition they'd been to or a movie that they were trying to produce or blah, blah, blah. And uh, it was just very, there was something about it that was magnetic to me and, and I came home from that trip and I was literally like, I have to move to Los Angeles and I literally like gave notice at my apartment complex and my job and was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm moving to LA because I have to do that. Wow. That's amazing. I spoke to Jimmy not too long ago and he first met you at Rocket Jump. Yeah, it's sort of serendipitous. I guess serendipitous is not the right word because some of it, um, <laughs> some of it was cold calculation on my part. I was a trailer editor. So I kind of got to LA and I just knew how to edit and I fell into a job at a company that makes movie trailers. And so because I already knew how to edit, I quickly sort of moved through the ranks at that place. And before I knew it, I was working on trailers for movies, uh, mostly Disney movies at that time. I started out working on like basically every princess movie you can think of and a lot of the Pixar movies. Wow. I moved on eventually and I worked for Universal and I kind of ironically became known as a guy that cuts more action movie stuff, even though I, the first five years of my career were all cutting comedies and kids movies. And then at a certain point, you know, the line I would often say is like, I came here to tell stories, not sell stories. You know, and I think a lot of people in life, they kind of get sidetracked in that way where they have a real clear goal and things they want to accomplish. And, you know, life is funny. It doesn't follow, it doesn't, it doesn't make that path like clear for you. There's brambles and there's bushes and you kind of have to take shortcuts. And before you know it, you've lost that path that you were on and you're on some other path. And, you know, but you've walked on it for so long that it's scary to try and find that original path. And one of the things that I kept doing was I was watching a lot of YouTube at that time and I was very enamored with the YouTube content. And this was probably five or six years ago when Freddie Wong and Rocket Jump were a big deal. They were one of the top five YouTube channels at that point. They had been sort of one of the early adopters of that platform and were really making a name for themselves. And they were doing little shorts and and some not so little shorts and they started a web series called Video Game High School and they were really doing big things and the thing I loved about them the most was they were doing what they wanted to do. They did not have to listen to the powers that be and all the studio bureaucratic nonsense that I was caught in the middle of and they were really just, there was a purity to it that I was very envious of. And, you know, I wasn't a person who was a nobody. I had a lot of success in my own field under my belt and so I reached out to Freddie and I just said, hey, I um, I do movie trailers for a living. I have done trailers for the Fast and Furious movies. You know, Scott Pilgrim versus the world was a big one that uh, they had all seen. And I said, I would love to just work with you guys. You don't have to pay me or anything. I'll, you know, I know you got video game high school. If there's anything you need done, I would love to be involved because I'm really interested in what you're doing. And I think it's kind of the future because they're in LA and they're literally like, we were all in Burbank, as it turned out. So we just met for lunch one day and they were like, yeah, come on, you know, let's see what, what you can help us with. And before I knew it, I was sort of at night just working on helping them with the marketing for season three of Video Game High School. And I cut the trailer for that. And I was doing some other just promotional stuff for their channel, just helping them however I could because I was fans of them. And, uh, you know, I had some expertise that I felt could help them. And as a result, I got to know all those guys. And Jimmy was not working at Rocket Jump at that time, but 
he was a, you know, obviously Freddie's his brother, for those that don't know. And Jimmy would just come in sometimes, he would come through. And one of the times he came through, there was like some magic cards like on a desk or something that were his. This story's getting a little convoluted, but the the time that I lived in Hawaii that I told you about, Sam, was actually six or seven months before I started helping out Rocket Jump. Uh-huh. And I had, that was when I had picked up, maybe it was like a year and a half, whatever the timeline was. That was the time when I had picked Magic back up because I had taught my nephew in Hawaii how to play Magic. That's how I got back into it around the tail end of Innistrad block. And so, I had literally like just started playing Magic in again, but I moved back to LA. So, I didn't have my nephew to play with anymore and I hadn't played in a while, but... There Jimmy was holding some magic cards and I was like, you guys play magic? And he was like, yeah, me and a couple other guys here. And and he had some other friends uh, that turned out to be Alex Kessler, who is one of the co-hosts of the Masters of Modern Podcast. That's right. And Craig Blanchett. And Alex and Craig actually had a web series called Top Decking yeah. that they had done. And so I just fell in with this group of you know content creators, magic players, and they became sort of my de facto commander play group. And they were playing commander, which is why I started playing commander because that was just the format they played. And I was like, I don't care what you guys are playing. It's magic. I'll play. That is so cool. So yeah, long story, but that's how I met Jimmy. So it was serendipitous in the way that I met Jimmy, although, you know, working at Rocket Jump, working with Rocket Jump, it would have been weird, I guess, if I hadn't met him. So, I mean, who knew that it would grow into what it has? I don't think either of us (laughs) would have thought this, but... But that's just the way life goes, I guess. You and Jimmy just started playing Magic and started playing some Commander. And eventually, you both sat down and was like, hey, we'd love to make a podcast. We'd like to start making some content. And so, you guys created the Command Zone podcast. Yeah, basically. I mean, what happened is we were alternating in our group. We were playing um, Commander and we were drafting uh, because we wanted to open packs And I had mostly played limited with my nephew when I taught him how to play just because we didn't own any cards and that's kind of the best way to get them and also play. And so, I was was into draft and and sealed and Jimmy was really into draft and sealed. And so, we were listening to a lot of limited resources at that time. You know, Marshall is the gold standard for magic podcasts and content. And when we started getting into Commander, we were kind of fishing around looking for that equivalent in the Commander world. And... I literally remember at one point just, you know, Jimmy and I were talking about limited resources and like, oh yeah, well, Marshall says this card's not any good and, you know, but blah, blah, blah. And I was like, man, why isn't there a limited resources style show for Commander? And Jimmy was like, I know I've looked for it too and I just can't find one. And I was like, you know, we're at the Rocket Jump offices literally playing and I'm looking around and I'm like, there's cameras and microphones everywhere. (laughs) You're like, why not? (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, we could do it. And Jimmy, you know, he's, he, he's doing music and he knows a lot about sound and I know a lot about editing. And I'm like, you know, we, we could totally do it. And, and the good thing about Commander is like, like we couldn't start a podcast about standard, right? Or modern. Like you have to be a pro. No one's going to listen to you because you just, but it's Commander. Like there's no, there's no pros. So you could just be some people that literally have only been playing the Commander format for a few months and you can start your own podcast about it. Why not? <laughs> that low barrier to entry. <laughs> yeah, because it's a casual format. So we were like, you know what? There's a need. It's not being filled. We can fill the need. You know, a big part of me had wanted to dive into content creation online, not just like helping Rocket Jump, but actually make something that was mine just to go through that process and really understand what at that time was being called new media. I don't know if they call it that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I figured the upside was very big for me. The show didn't have to do very well. I would still learn a lot in the process. That kind of, you know, Jimmy and I decided to do it and we kicked it off by recording like six episodes, reviewing them with a fine tooth comb for 
weeks before we even released the first one. And the rest is history, as they say. Oh, I love it. That's amazing. Yeah, Jimmy did say something about like, you guys like piloted a bunch of episodes and really like refined your process before you actually did it. Gosh, how many episodes of uh, the Command Zone podcast do you have now? Oh boy, uh, you're putting me on the spot. I'm not sure. It's like 170-ish. Yeah, it's uh, up there. Yeah, we don't keep we don't announce it at the beginning of every episode or anything. So I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's in the 170s. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think Jimmy and I both thought this was something we'd kind of do for fun for a little while. And, and I don't think either of us, if you asked us at the start, would have said we thought it would still be going after 150 plus episodes. That's amazing. You know, while I'm on the subject of Jimmy, let me just give Jimmy a huge shout out because Jimmy is is famous, right? Like he's not Tom Cruise famous, but Jimmy's famous to the point where if you're walking in the mall with him, there's a decent chance that somebody's going to come up and ask to take a picture. Yeah. By the way, you'll turn into the photographer in that instance because <laughs> that happens to me all the time. He's a famous person. Like he's he's legit famous. His brother even more so. If you're ever in the mall with both of them, it can be annoying. But here's a guy who I knew just after only doing the podcast for a little teeny bit that it was going to be great because Jimmy's work ethic is insane. The guy just has a motor. He just goes. And I knew we'd be a good match because we were going to push each other, but neither of us was going to fold. And we were going to be both equal partners in that both of us could carry as much workload as was necessary. It wasn't going to be a partnership where one person would really be, you know, pulling the train while the other person was just dragging it down. Um, so I've seen, I've been around a lot of famous people because of my my job and everything. And they're not all like that. A lot of times they get to a certain point and they lose that fire. But Jimmy is just a guy who just works harder than anybody else. And it's something you find with hyper successful people over and over again is that you think, oh, you know, Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, because he's some kind of genius and he's smarter than you are and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? That's not true. Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, because he works harder than you do. That's the bottom line. And when you realize that, it's really great because, man, anybody can work harder. It's a lot harder to be a genius. You can't make yourself a genius, right? But you can make yourself work harder. And I'll tell you, like 99% of the hyper successful people that I've been around, that's the quality they have. It's not some spark of genius. It is they work harder than anybody you've ever seen talking to Jimmy from before, that was almost the same thing he said about you. It's just like, he just also said that you are just like an incredibly hard worker and an incredibly diligent person, incredibly creative, and that you just have like all these like ideas that you follow through on. But you know what, really bringing you both together and looking at um, the, the energy that you have on camera, on your podcast, when you create your content, you're both very detail-oriented. You care about making sure that the topics you talk about is complete, that you have your notes there ready in front of you. You both are there. You both show up and you do the rehearsal and you put in the work and the quality is really there and and you connect. And and that is very clear. So I mean, I, I will acknowledge you many times in this podcast, but like the magic community is incredibly lucky and grateful to be able to have someone like you and also to have someone like Jimmy to be in our community, creating content for us, making our lives better and more fun and more rich. So yeah, I mean, gosh, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, it's really apparent, really clear the dynamic that you both have. It's just wonderful. Well, those are really kind words, Sam. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, the game is the, one of the great games ever created and it draws a lot of amazing people. And I think we're just... Too 
two of many, you know, there's there's yourself, there's the professor, there's Wedge, there's a whole bunch of people who will probably get mad I didn't say their name just now, but there are so <laughs> there are so many um, just passionate people because this game is so great. So we're just happy to be among them. And, you know, that's just Jimmy and my philosophy always is constant improvement and evolution, just constantly looking at what it is that we could be doing better and not in a broad sense, on a very specific like, okay, next episode, let's do this because I'd like this to improve. And then once we get that down, what's the next thing? And what's the next thing? What's the next nail that we can hammer down so that everything's flat and nice and slick and clean? You know, the Command Zone podcast is like super, super entertaining. You guys go really deep on things. And you, like you said, you've got like over like 150 episodes. And also, not too long ago, you created a web series called Game Nights. So it's like a visual representation of live playing between like four people. What made you come up with that idea? You know, we had been marinating on the idea of doing gameplay for quite some time. Jimmy and I had, of course, discussed it sort of in theory or philosophy for ever since we started the podcast. We had had the idea that at some point we might give it a shot. But, you know, we were looking at a lot of the gameplay stuff that's out there and understanding the pitfalls of what, you know, everybody was falling into. And I think it's very easy to look at stuff and be like, that's boring or that's blah, blah, blah. Or that's... But I understand that it's very hard you know, there's so many things you have to consider to make magic understandable, relatable, exciting. And so that's why it took us so long because I, we were looking at stuff and going like, I, I understand why a lot of this stuff is the way that it is because it's very, very difficult to figure out a lot of fixes for a lot of the little problems that honestly, like even the pro tour has, which is like, how do you recognize the cards? How do you make sure that the people watching it know the cards and don't get lost if they just don't know one card? How do you get over all the downtime between like, there's just so much like somebody's thinking. It's just not that much fun to watch somebody's think for that amount of time. Five seconds, sure. Once they're thinking for 45 seconds, what did you do for the other 40? It's not fun to watch people search their libraries and draw cards. Blah, 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 blah. The list goes on. So it really, we had been for a long time just sort of pinpointing pitfalls and things we thought, you know, we could do or we'd say things like, you know, it'd be cool if this happened or, oh, if we could do this. And, you know, we'd done that for years and just sort of through sheer luck and timing, I had decided to take a, a little bit of time off work and that was around the release of the Commander 2016 product. And Trick Jarrett had just happened to send us the Commander product early, you know, which is we were lucky. It hadn't happened for us before. We didn't ask for it. He just decided to send it a couple weeks beforehand, hoping that we would, you know, he he basically said like, guys, I don't know what you can do this with this, but, you know, if you want to talk about it on your show or whatever, I just figured I'd send it to you. And Jimmy and I looked at each other at that point and go, let's let's try to do the gameplay thing. Let's give it a shot here because, you know, we're really, we have this before anybody else really does and we can kind of be right on the front of the wave as it were when it's released. And so we released a video and at that time we didn't even know it was called Game Nights. We called it Out of the Box. And I would love for people who are fans of Game Nights to go watch that first episode again. Uh, it's called Out of the Box. You can find it on our channel because you'll be amazed how rudimentary it is. It's really the germ of the idea that Game Nights has become. Um, and you can see that we're not I shouldn't say we, that I'm specifically not good at a lot of the things or I haven't figured out a lot of the things that we come to figure out later. There's the card animations are, are not tight. The editing is actually a lot tighter. It skips a lot more gameplay. I think it skips too much. 
Um, it's just a different experience. But even from that, we were able to sort of tell that like, oh, people really like this. It's a game changer. Yeah, it was really revolutionary because up until this point, the Magic community and even Wizards themselves with uh, official coverage and Pro Tour coverage, Grand Prix coverage, there really wasn't a way to represent the board state very well. I mean, things didn't flow. I mean, if you looked at a football game, you know exactly who has possession, where where they are on the field, how many downs has it been, what quarter is it? You know, like you, you right. know the score. It's really obvious, right, at a glance. But when you look at like any snapshot of any Magic game, it's like I, I can't really tell. Like, even... Today, when like there are pros tweeting, oh my God, look at this sick play. I'm like, wait, what turn is it? Like, wait, what did they draw? Like, I, I still can't figure it out. And I've been playing for like 15 years, you know? So it's like, it still takes a little bit of parsing. But to be able to do that and and represent it in a way, like that takes a lot of like being a pioneer. Just like you said, you're like, what is interesting? What is not? And like really choosing to visually represent what you want to represent. Because you have, you're an editor. You have control over every frame of that video. And so every every choice is being made. And I was talking to Marshall Sutcliffe not too long ago, and he was just like, yeah, the stuff that Josh does is, quote unquote, infinite work. And I, I really laughed. <laughs> <laughs> it was really wonderful because, I mean, I think what Marshall does is infinite work because, I mean, he, when he does a set review with, with LSV, I mean, he does a set review, right? That thing is like I mean, there's another guy. Up. there's another guy like Jimmy that just like, there's a guy, you can look at Marshall and be like, oh, he's so successful and blah, blah, blah. And it's Marshall a genius? I mean, well, maybe, but the reason he's successful is because that guy puts in the elbow grease, man. He puts in the work. He is just constantly working. Totally. And I mean, he, he does official coverage. So the fact that he's traveling like 180, 200 days out of the year and yep. making all of the content that he does, it's it's just absolutely stunning. And so when he said to me, gosh, Josh just does infinite work, I was like, you're kidding me, man. Like, <laughs> Josh? And so when I, and that was really when I started to kind of like look at the content and, and like I'm noticing things like, um, you know, your latest video with the cats, you know, the cats are, are getting buffed up and like you get them this pre-combat trigger and then their power and toughness increases by plus three, plus three. And then when I look at that, I'm like, wait a second, you didn't just, you didn't just phone it in and stick the numbers on top and you can kind of see the numbers on bottom. No, you took whatever, you know, coloring or whatever pattern was underneath that and you masked it and then you put new numbers and you made those numbers red and there's a little bit of a drop shadow. And I just was like, okay, wow, I do Photoshop production graphic design. I've done that for the last 10 years. Like I know how many how much that just is and then you're looking at you know the rounded corners and like the cards being at an angle and things appearing and disappearing and how they fly away and it's just like oh my goodness josh like where do you find time to sleep <laughs> <laughs> you know luckily i come from the professional side of the business so that's the expectation of everything being perfect is something that's just been drilled into me professionally for years. You know, if you're working on Star Wars, which I worked on, everything has to be perfect. Every single literal frame has to be perfect. And so that's the mindset that I just come from. So it's not difficult for me. There's no option in my mind to do it, you know, to just put the number over the thing. No, it has to look organic. It has to look like that number is the number that belongs on the card now. And I sit there and fret over which font because I don't have the official wizard's font and what size the font is and what color it should be so that it'll pop the most from the card. And that's just for that one little decision. And that's the way that, you know, it just is for all the decisions on the show. But, you know, our goal really was to make game nights TV quality. And there's people, you know, that say, oh, it is TV quality, but it's not. It's close. There are definitely things we could do, I think. And we're trying to work towards it so that I could legitimately say 
yeah, this could be on TV. And I think we can get there with that show. I think this show has the ability to be of that quality. Yeah. And also talking not too long ago with the magic man, Sam, I mean, he does a lot of like YouTube video editing. And he was really telling me about how editing is really the stuff that you don't see. You know, you don't notice good editing. You don't notice good production and good effects. It just it just happens and it keeps the viewer engaged in the content. And considering the monumental task of, I, I don't say this lightly, something that perhaps Wizards of the Coast themselves have not figured out how to accurately portray certain, you know, visual elements on a live broadcast. You've been able to capture that with Jimmy in your design of Game Nights. Yeah, and I think to be fair to them, the things that the Pro Tour sort of stipulations that they have being a live broadcast, I mean, that's a really big mountain that they would have to climb to, to match what Game Nights is doing. Like, we're literally shooting something and then we're in post-production for a month on it to get to the point that we are. And like I said, this is something I'm doing, I've done professionally for 15 years working on the biggest movies you can talk about. So it's not... I don't think it's fair to point at Pro Tour coverage and think that it can be something like Game Nights. It's it's not really realistic just from the amount of work that you have to do to finesse it. You know, one of the great things about Jimmy and I both is that we also come from an industry that's about storytelling. And so really what a lot of the decisions on Game Nights are have to do with the story that you're telling and making sure there are certain through lines and understanding the audience, their perspective, what they can digest at what speed, and also what's going to be interesting to them so that there isn't any moment where they're sort of there's downtime or they're bored or they're looking at their watch, you know. And and some of the best comments I receive are when people say, man, that was 40 minutes, but it felt like 10. Yeah. And that's really what I want it to feel like because I want it to be easy. I want it coming at you at a speed you can digest, but that you never feel bored. And so it's that classic like movie test you know, there's, I don't know who invented it, but there's how many times during the movie did I look at my watch? And was I looking at my watch because I'm like, how much time is left uh, before it's over in a good way or a bad way? You know, you can look in movies and be like, oh crap, there's only 30 minutes of this movie's le left, but I'm loving it. I wish there was an hour left. Or you can be looking at your watch and being like, oh man, there's 30 more minutes of this movie. <laughs> you know, and, and I just don't want any people ever looking at their watch. I want them to be just constantly glued with their eyes to the screen. And so... You know, that's a lot of what we're trying to do is tell a story through the game, make sure that every person's perspective is intact and interesting in a way that you're just following it and you don't have to think about anything, but just follow that story, follow that game, keep it interesting. Who are some filmmakers or storytellers or visual storytellers that you really admire or you look up to? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't know that I specifically target anybody and I don't know that it would even be just necessarily movies. I mean, obviously, I watch a lot of the things that people... Watch, you know, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. I loved, um, I loved the first season of Stranger Things. I'm from the 80s. I'm a child of the 80s. So Spielberg is a big one for me, especially his early stuff, you know, stuff like Star Wars, things like that. But I'm also a big believer in sort of the ability to cross learn from other creative disciplines. So I've learned a lot from a friend of mine who's a world-renowned painter. You know, I have friends in the music industry. I've learned a lot from their process of how they go into producing music or writing music or creating music. You know, I have friends that are writers and just talking to people who write books or screenplays for a living and understanding that at the base level, the creative process is so similar. You can really learn lessons from all of those different disciplines that you can cross apply to your own. And really when you do that, you take out a lot of the biases that you have because you don't have any biases when it comes to, 
you know, writing a novel if you've never written a novel, but you can look at something they say and be like, wow, that's a lot like this thing in filmmaking. You know, I never really would have tackled it because of my biases, but because I can sort of cross apply now all of a sudden, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's an interesting thing. And, and so, I would say that a lot of my learning comes from the different disciplines of different creative disciplines. Uh, and that's one of my favorite things is to talk shop with you know, graphic designers, you know, uh, people that make movie posters or that, like I said, my buddy, the painter, like I love chatting with him because you can cross apply so much of what he's learned from painting that could be applied to game nights, even though that doesn't seem like they'd be super related on the surface. They really are because the creative process is so uh, universal. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a a lot of great ways to, like you said, cross apply these disciplines and it get you thinking kind of orthogonally. I know sometimes people use that word. It's like a Silicon Valley mm-hmm. buzzword, but you know, it, it, <laughs> it does happen. Well, I, I, I should say video games mm-hmm. uh, are another one. And, and you know, I'm lucky to live in an area where we have Blizzard, we have Riot, two very big video game companies. We have more than just that, but I have friends that work at both. In fact, a lot of the people we play Magic with uh, work at Riot. So, we're over there quite often. And that's another creative thing. And that's another place where I've drawn a lot of um, inspiration from, you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that Hearthstone didn't in many ways inform some of the things that we're doing in game nights. And so, it's a matter of taking pieces from a lot of different places and being open at all times to learning, you know, from anything that's happening to you and applying it to sort of, you know, your creative project. That really is like good art, you know, <laughs> like you're making art, you're making content, you're making something that visually tells a story. So, I'm really glad that you're like thinking so, so much and you're, you're casting a really wide net as well. So, but you know what, Josh, like it really shows in the content that you make. It really shows through in the end product because it, it's like every episode of Game Nights is like iterative and like better than the previous. I like, it gets to a point where I'm like, I can't imagine this thing getting any better. And it, it, it keeps on getting better. So, I'm like, kudos <laughs> to you, man. Sam, the list of improvements that I want to make is so long, it's insane. And I'm not the type of crazy person that will beat my head against the wall wishing that I had done it. But I am the type of person that's like, okay, but next episode, these three things are going to be better. Wow. And the episode after that, these three things are going to be better. And by five or six episodes down the line, it'll be a lot more improved than it was. And I'm just going to methodically improve. Yeah, I'm sure people have noticed and I have no problem with that. Like the graphics recently, we got Jeffrey Palmer who does the Living Cards animations. He's at Living Cards MTG to do, you know, an animated version of a logo, which I we actually hired another guy named J.R. Picache to do a, a logo for Game Nights. But then, you know, I also had Jeffrey do some new lower thirds graphics. Now I've started having him work on some of the graphical animations where the cards do interactions. So you might notice in the latest Game Nights, there's like pow, wham, bam, like Batman style stuff. That was something Jeffrey and I came up with as far as like, how can we punch this stuff up? How can we really make it better? And each thing you look at every part and go, can we make this better next time? And then by the time you get to the end of that list, now the stuff you already improved once, you got to improve it again and you start over. <laughs> got to improve it again. <laughs> yep. Well, well, you know, uh, listeners, uh, if you haven't seen Game Nights, um, I'm going to have links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org because you absolutely have to check it out. The Command Zone podcast as well as Game Nights has become such a hit that Josh, you and Jimmy have created such a huge following that uh, recently at 
at uh, GP Vegas 2017, you held a really big meet and greet and a really big party. And it just was a huge hit. Tons of people showed up. You had tons of swag. People played a ton of Commander. That was just amazing to really see the community come out. And, like, usually we're interacting through a screen. Like, here we are in person. Yeah, it was really cool. We had done a gathering back in 2015. We were a lot smaller then. We didn't have game nights at that point. So we were a little more niche. And the gathering was still a pretty big hit then. We had a couple hundred people. This year, we weren't really sure what to expect, but we wanted to do, you know, the sequel. We <laughs> we made a lot of <laughs> questionable decisions as far as like, we weren't sure how big it would get and it got way bigger than we thought. And we were stupid and we tried to run it with basically like four people. Um, luckily, the community is awesome and we had a lot of people step up to help us on the night of. And um it was it was awesome. We had a, we had over 500 people show up. It was, you know, it was the size of a small GP kind of. Uh but it was dedicated to Commander. It was a night of casual magic we called it. We gave away free Conspiracy 2 drafts. And Jimmy and I are really on this campaign and we have been for a while to highlight the casual side of magic that we don't feel gets sort of the press that it deserves. And I understand why. This is not a, this is not taking a shot at at wizards or anything, but it's much easier for them to sort of clock understand the competitive market. The casual market is is much more nebulous. It's harder to get your mind around. It sort of slips through your fingers. The data is hard to get. And yet, just by pure logic, you know that that's how 90% of the people play the game. Magic players come in all different shapes and sizes, and they all have all these different backgrounds. They have different times in which they've entered the game. They have people who have taught them uh, different parts of the game, just like you were saying earlier, how you were, you know, kind of using some kitchen table rules. You had uh, giant growth as an enchantment. I mean, when I was, a, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I my friend cast like Dark Ritual and like had it like as a tappable give you three <laughs> every single time. And so it was like, now, a, that's a good card. I was like, wow, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, that's crazy, right? So it was like a mega, it was like a mega soul ring. So I, I, so I mean, definitely, right? Like, so casual players do really make up a, a huge bulk that perhaps we don't like, are, or it's not easy to quantify. But you know, like casual magic players are out there, and I meet kids all the time who talk about kind of how they like to play magic, and they they put in all their goofy rules, but like. That's like kind of like the beauty of the game. It doesn't have to be competitive, sanctioned, very specific. This is what the meta is, and here's a sideboard. It could just be, it's like really beautiful in that way. Yeah, that's the thing that, that Jimmy and I really believe, which is that, and that's what Game Nights really is, right? It's an attempt to capture that sense of the game. It does not try to capture what the Pro Tour is trying to capture. And I'm not saying that one's invalid or one's not. I'm just saying that one isn't represented adequately at the moment. And, and I think it's far and away the one that it would be the most helpful to the game of Magic in the long run. You're going to get way more people to play Magic as a result of them thinking that the game is fun than you are as a result of them thinking that they can somehow make a career out of it. And with the explosion of the Command Zone brand and game nights, you've also come out with a lot of cool swag like play mats. And recently I saw a thing about t-shirts and then also the <laughs> Lifelinker app. Yeah, I don't know if that's a lot. It's a lot of people have been yelling at us for a lot of years, so I feel like it's not that much, but we're working on it, everybody. I promise. It's, I, I mean, I, you know how it is, Sam, right? Like, and, and I'm sure everybody's heard content creators like the Professor, Marshall, Wedge, that those kind of people talk about this, which is that the content creation ends up taking up so much of your time. 
it becomes really difficult to even play magic. And now if you add in like, I got to design a t-shirt, I got to figure out the best way to sell it or get it to my audience. And then once that happens, I also am in charge of figuring out how it actually gets produced and then gets to all the people. And that's that's like a huge, like you can literally end up spending days just writing emails. Yes. You know, and, and that's something that's kind of happened recently that we're trying, still trying to wrap our, our heads around and figure out how to deal with, which is once you get to a certain size, just keeping everything moving takes up so much of your time. And now all of a sudden, you're just in a position where I know people get frustrated because they want us to have more merchandise and there's a lot of things they want us to accomplish. And I promise we want to do that stuff too. It's just figuring out how to get it all done and still be able to like, you know, sleep. (laughs) I know. uh, Money and t-shirts just don't grow on trees. (laughs) Yeah. And to go back to your t-shirt thing, because I kind of buried the lead on there, but yes, we have a t-shirt coming out um, for game nights. It's really cool. It has the big logo on the front. It has the game nights text with the sword going through it, sort of on the back between the shoulder blades. Uh, I really like the design. The shirt that I posted on Twitter was actually the samples that we got um, from the t-shirt company. And in typical fashion, I was not 100% happy with them. So, we're going to make some tweaks before we make it available to everybody. You know, we're going to tackle t-shirts the same way we tackle our content, which is we want to make sure that's like the best thing we can make and that there's it's as close to perfect as we can make it. So, that's another pitfall though to releasing a whole bunch of merchandise and stuff is that, you know, each one has to represent you how you want to be represented. So, you know, that ends up just taking more time. Mm-hmm. But that way everybody, I just want everybody to always know when they get stuff from the command zone that it's going to be above their quality, you know, threshold. I love it. I love it. And uh, really to support the Command Zone, you guys also have a Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash command zone. That's correct. People can go and support, you know, directly support Josh and Jimmy and the show and the podcast and the videos and the merch and all that great stuff. Um, And, you know, what's really cool is that... um, you guys created the Lifelinker app. You know, I was reading reviews about this on the App Store. People just love it. They were just like, it's intuitive. It's slick. It's got every feature that it has, and it doesn't have to have any more. It's just perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? Because I don't know why we decided to do it. But, well, you know what it was? was We were doing game nights, and we wanted something really simple to you know represent the life totals. But most of the apps that we kept trying were just way too complicated. And we just, we were just like, why is this so hard? And we had a friend who we knew was uh, able to design apps and things like that. Just one of these kids who, you know, if you're like, I need an app to do this for the Google Glass, he'll come, he'll go into his room and come out three hours later and I'll have it. Like, he's just one of these guys. And so, we were like, you know what? We know this guy. His name's Danny Vink. You know, we have the resources. It's kind of like when we were at Rocket Jump, when we looked around and we were like, we could make a podcast. We got microphones and cameras right here. Well, we can, we can design an app. We got a guy we know that can do it. So, that was just kind of on a lark, something that we did. I'm glad that the reception has been really, really good. We're working on some improvements to it. There's a few features that people uh, really want, like commander damage and a few other things. Um, So, that's something we're definitely going to get to. I guess this is just like the $1 million question, which is, Josh, where do you find time to relax? And like, what do you like to do for fun? (laughs) It's it's a tough question. Um... Because, yeah, there's not a, a whole bunch of time for relaxing these days. I, I, you know, I like to hang with my girlfriend. We like to go to the movies still. You know, we like to watch Game of Thrones and uh, go to nice dinners when we can. I like to take my dog to the dog beach. You know, I try and do that like once a week or so. 
Yeah, that's kind of the free time. I mean, I like to play Magic. Uh, I get to do that less and less these days. One of the great things about game nights is that it forces me to play um, Commander. So, I get one extra day a month that I have to play, which is good. Um, even if it's not exactly the same as a normal Commander game, it, it still scratches that itch. Yeah, I think you probably know how it is, Sam, being a CEO of a company and also making your own content. It's It, it starts to eat up everything. <laughs> yeah, you know what's so funny, Josh, is just the other day, uh, it was like a Saturday and I was working, I was at the office, but I was like in the parking lot and I ran into Kenji Egashira, new Nummy, <laughs> and I was like, Kenji, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm just here, I'm getting some cat food for the cat. And I was just like, oh, like just chilling and hanging out and it, I was just like you probably don't play a lot of magic like what do you do when you're done he's like no I definitely don't play magic <laughs> he's like doesn't have any time because he's streaming constantly and then like doing everything else he has to do and he's just like oh my gosh and he was like yeah probably you right and I was just like you're right <laughs> you're right like I, I really don't play magic like I talk about magic constantly I think about magic constantly I'm making content constantly doing interviews and things and editing but I really have not been playing a lot of magic but you know what's surprising is that like my skill level for magic hasn't decreased if anything I think I got a little bit better at magic because I'm thinking about it constantly, which is kind of weird. It's kind of quirky that way. I don't know. I don't know where my skill level would be at if I had taken all the time that I make content and just played magic. I'd probably be on the pro tour, honestly, with the amount of time that I spent. But it is difficult to find balance in your life when you sort of make one of your hobbies into something that's closer to a job. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> that's just the way that it goes. But, you know, we're all doing it because we love it and... That's one of the great things about it and, you know, stuff like Game Nights and the response that it's had really is, is it's kind of like food that keeps you going. Yeah. Josh, I wanted to ask you, and I know probably a lot of people want to ask you this question, is what advice do you have for people who are new to Magic or just starting off with Magic in general or Commander? Well, the first thing I would say, if you're new to Magic, Commander is probably not the correct format for you. It's probably the most complicated, uh, not even probably, it's the most complicated format because our board states get worse as far as complexity than any other format by far. For one thing, we go just more turns than the other formats, but also then you just add in twice the amount of players in any given game and the board complexity and the interactions are so crazy that I just think if you're a new player to Magic, you're better off starting with the beginner decks, some intro packs, moving on to like limited, sealed is really good when you're when you're first learning just because now you're only dealing with the 400 cards in a set and not the 20,000 cards that have ever existed in all of Magic. And once you get familiar with that, then Commander's a great place to go because once you're not worried about how attacking and blocking works and how the stack works, then Commander's great. But before you understand that stuff, Commander's just too much, I think. So that would be a big piece of advice that I hear a lot. People, A lot of people are like, I'm, try I'm trying to get my friend into Magic. What Commander deck should I build them? Hold on right there. Don't build them a commander deck. It's just not the right way to get somebody into magic. Now, I'm not saying they can never play commander. You just don't start them there. But it's just like, even when I'm playing commander, I'm just like, I almost feel like I'm playing judge tower. <laughs> like It's like <laughs> yeah. so difficult sometimes. Yeah, it's 100% just the most complex format, uh, which is funny because it's the casual format. But, you know, I think it's a casual format because people want, if they own a card, they want to be able to play it. And commander is the place where... You don't have to worry about all this crap about like, I don't know, tier one decks or what's legal and what's not legal or what rotate or blah, blah, blah. It's like, I have this card. Yeah, you can put it in your deck. You know, as a successful content creator yourself and also an industry professional, what advice do you have for people that want to become content creators? Uh, this is a big one. This is a tough one to answer quickly. Um, you know, we did an episode of the Command Zone very recently. I think it's titled, How Many Infinite Combos Are Too Many? Mm-hmm. 
But at the end of that episode, we sort of answered a lot of questions we get commonly asked from budding content creators. This probably happens to you also, Sam, which is at a certain point you get, you start getting emails from people who are, you know, inspired by your stuff, which is very flattering. Uh, but that's causing them to want to make their own stuff, which is great. And they're asking you, like, how do I start? What do I do? Uh, what equipment should I buy? Blah, blah, blah. And I think all that stuff is answerable through Google, right? You can find out what equipment, how to make your stuff sound good. What you can't answer through Google and you really need to think about is what do you have to say? What's your perspective? What's unique about it? It doesn't have to be unique in the way that like nobody's ever done it before. It just has to be like, I'm passionate about my perspective. You know, we were very passionate with Game Nights about the need for content that encapsulated what we love about the game. And so we had some things to say about what we find fun and, you know, how we think things should be presented so they're digestible. And so what is your thing? It doesn't have to be as complicated as Game Nights either. It can just be like, there's nobody talking about Budget Commander. You know, the Commander's Brew guys did that and they sort of own the Budget Commander space now. And I'm, if somebody else was like, I'm really into Budget Commander and I have a different philosophy than those guys or I have my own slight take on it, that's great. Now you know your perspective. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing from content creation standpoint is just like go into it understanding or having some idea of what your mission statement and your perspective is. Because that's really what art is, right? Like art is, it's a perspective. You know, a painter is giving you a look into their mind. A songwriter, same thing. And a, movie, a filmmaker as well. And so that's really what you need to encapsulate. And and there's a bunch of advice and, and different things people are going to give you about, you know, how to make yourself sound good or common pitfalls to avoid. And we have all that on that episode I talked about. But the big takeaway should be just go make the content. Just go do it. You know, you're going to learn so much by doing the first thing you ever do that the gap between that and the second thing will be huge. And then between the second and the third will be even bigger. And like I said, go watch the first episode of Game Nights. And Jimmy and I are not people who had not who had just started making videos, right? And yet we still learned a ton between the first and second game nights and the second and third and the third and fourth. And so just think of how much you're going to learn between the very first thing you do and the second thing. If you've never created any content at all, that's the best way to learn and get better. Just go do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my first three episodes, season one, <laughs> I worked on those for like a month straight because I made them and was like, this is garbage and remade them <laughs> and was like, this is garbage and remade them. I think I make, I think I read, cut them like four or five times. And by the time I made episode number four, it took me like, only six hours because <laughs> I just I like worked on three episodes for like over oh, like five weeks. Uh, yeah, because you got better at yeah, it. Yeah, I got better at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's what content creation is. It's just like magic, right? Yep. Like you get better at playing magic, you get better at drafting or standard or whatever your format is uh, by doing it, you know, thinking about it also, but but by doing it. And so, yeah, that's the biggest thing I would say. I think a lot of people get caught up and they want to be in a perfect setup and they want to, you know, know everything before they start. Eh, it's not really possible. Set yourself up fairly well by reading some stuff and doing some research and then just go. Right. Yeah. Not everyone's like Casey Neidstad, like a super pro artist movie maker. And then like when you launch your vlog, you're like kind of like know what you're doing. But like even like early, like everyone on YouTube has like early cringy stuff. I mean, you listen to like yeah. episode one versus probably this episode right now. It's going to sound really different, you know. So but yeah, just staying with it, learning on the way. It's the journey. It is not the end point. So 
And it's always the journey. One of my favorite sayings is that you're always a work in progress. And I think that about game nights. I think that about command zone. I think that about myself. At no point can you look at me and say, well, that's the finished product. No point can you look at game nights and say, well, that's the finished final version of it. It's always a work in progress. It always should be improving and evolving. I love it. I love it. Josh, what is your goal for the command zone or, or for game nights? Like, Where do you really see this going in a year? I'm not sure, Sam. I'm, you know, my hope is that, I'm going to be super honest. My hope is that Game Nights is still going in a year. You know, and, we, and we've talked about this and we've caught some flack for it, but there's a whole bunch of reasons why Game Nights is a very difficult show and we love it and it's my baby and I'm very proud of it, but it's hard to keep it going. And it's it's the type of thing where I'm I'm just unsure what, confluence of events has to happen for it to still be thriving in a year. A lot. It, it, the answer is a lot. It's just such a tremendous undertaking. And I don't want to be doom and gloom because we are doing everything we can behind the scenes to move the pieces on the chessboard and or whatever you want to call it to get everything lined up so that game nights can continue. But in order for it to continue, it has to be a full-time job for me, basically. Just that's the amount of time that it now takes to do the show. And so for that to be realistic, the it has to make sense economically. It has to make sense financially. You have to be able to do things like pay your car insurance with the money that you make from the show. And that means that it probably has to grow even past the point that it is now because that's the only way we're going to bring in the sponsors and the amount of you know money necessary to sort of to keep it going. So it's not something I've gotten to a lot of detail with uh, anywhere. And and one of the things, and you probably run into this too, and I keep saying that phrase, but you know, I, I like to think that all of us content creators are in a similar boat. We're like, we didn't build in great ways through our content to be able to speak directly to our audience. Like I don't have, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know who's really, you know who's really good and I'm jealous of him is the professor because he's able to sort of create these videos where he talks to his to his people. And I think that's one of the keys to his success. And and one of the reasons that Prof is, is so great in the community and just such a smart guy in general and why he's thrived so much is he did build it out, that in. And we haven't. And I wish we had. Because I don't think people understand what, you know, I know they love game nights, but I don't think they understand sort of the fight that we're going through to, to keep it to keep it going. And one of the reasons I keep pushing to, in, to improve it is because that's the only apparatus I have to make it big enough that the snowball is so big when it's rolling downhill that it can't be stopped. Um, right now, it's still in danger of being stopped because the snowball is not quite big enough. So, you know, not to plead with the audience, but if you're out there and you like game nights, one of the best things you can do is just spread the word about the show because the more views that it gets and the more popular it becomes, the more that the universe wants it to exist and therefore it will. Yeah. So, so to answer your question, it's, it's unknown right now, you know? My hope is that we're still going strong and we're successful and that we've figured out a way. Because as much as we've grown in the past year or so, it's still not enough to sustain what we're currently doing. Right now, the way I look at like game nights and also like podcasts is like, these are really like gold standards for this particular genre about you talking about, you know, not like standard competitiveness or draft, but like talking about commander and also playing magic from like that casual sphere. So I absolutely encourage listeners, you know, if you're listening to my podcast and you haven't heard about the Command Zone podcast or game nights, please check it out and also share it. If you do know it and you know of people who are like not watching it, share it because this is really the gold 
gold standard. It's not just growing the game of magic. It's not just like allowing like Josh and Jimmy to like experiment with like their creativity and like building a better future for all of us in the community. It's also inspiring people like me who is also creating content and being like, wow, like look at them push the envelope. Look at them pioneer things that I did not think was possible. You know, this is all like in a in a sense like a creative technology that we're all building, we're all sharing, we're all collaborating in a way. And it's always going to affect someone. Who knows how many people it's going to inspire down the road to be creating their things. You know, like we all have our YouTubers, we all have our artists, our musicians, our actors and our novelists and writers and painters that we draw inspiration from. Like this is just the same thing. Yeah, well, I appreciate you putting us in that class and, uh, you know, I hope we're deserving of it. I, I think, like I said before, we're one of many. I hope we're still around in a year. But, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's what you said. It's kind of, it's up to everybody out there, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And Josh, what's new for you? Kind of either personally, professionally, like I know we talked a lot about a lot about the future, but just kind of like, what are you up to these days? Well, you know, that's kind of where I'm at and it ties in, which is that, you know, trying to make the command zone and more specifically game nights into a real job because in order to produce it, the amount of hours that it takes has really got me to that point where, you know, I, I again, this is not something I put out there because we don't have a good way to put it out there to our audience. So, you know, this, I guess this is, you're getting the scoop on this, Sam, which is that <laughs> like, you know, I don't make movie trailers anymore. I left that business uh, a few months ago because there just wasn't enough time to do that and game nights. And if I have to go back to the trailer world, then game nights will have to stop because there's just not time to do both. You know, if you've got a, a regular job that takes 50 hours a week, there's just not also the time to do another job that takes, you know, 150 hours a month. So that's really been where Jimmy and I are at. And Jimmy obviously has his fingers in a lot of pies as far as he's got his Disney show and he's got, you know, Feast of Fiction and a bunch of other stuff that he's doing his sort of, what's the word, commitment to game nights is a little bit less, only that, you know, he he doesn't have to do all the editing because, uh, well, because I'm doing it. So, he doesn't have to work like 180 hours a week or sorry, a month on it. But at the same time, it's a commitment for him as well. And there's, you know, there's opportunity costs and whatnot. But that's really what I'm up to at the moment is just trying to figure out a way or figure out if it's even realistic to make you know, game nights and the command zone into like a real job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally hear that. And we're all rooting for you. We're all rooting for you. And we know that it's going to grow. <laughs> I'm, I'm an optimist. I know that just like with the way people have just been so positive to the response of the content, I know it's going to grow. So, I know it'll all work out. I appreciate it. And I don't want to come across as somebody who's like, you guys have to do stuff like use our sponsor or whatever, you know, Patreon us. I'm not asking for that at all. Like, I think that I'm very happy if organically game nights lives or dies, right? It's an experiment. It's something we're trying. I think the response has been tremendous. But if the universe decides that, you know, game nights is just not something that makes sense, that the what it takes to produce it doesn't pay off in the in enough to continue to produce it, that that wheel doesn't really work, that that circle doesn't complete. That's okay. You know, I'm not in a situation where I'm going to be really like, I can go back to, to working on the next Star Wars movie. So, you know, how bad? It's not like my life is bad, right? <laughs> yeah. And if you are going to be working on that next Star Wars movie, please let us know or at least sneak us out some sweet swag or something. <laughs> I am definitely 100% not allowed to even say I am if I ever was. But I'll tell you right now, I currently am not. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, we're going to have more from Josh coming up in just a bit. But first, a word from our sponsors. 
Josh, you have some special Patreon supporters gifts. Could you tell us what it is going to be? Yeah, so one of my favorite cards of all time is the Prodigal Sorcerer, also known as Tim. Um, It's one of the very first cards I remember really being just gleeful about learning how the intricacies of how it worked and all the little tricks you could pull by pinging things at certain times, you know, for one. I think it probably was the card that single-handedly introduced me to my opponent's end step before my turn. Um, And activated abilities on creatures have just become probably my favorite thing in all of Magic. So I'm going to sign a bunch of Prodigal Sorcerers, a bunch of Tims that you can uh, give away to your patrons. So uh, very excited to have a bunch of Tims running around out there with my name on it. I love it. Thank you so much, Josh. And when you said, uh, you know, Prodigal Sorcerer, I love those as well. I used to have a Pinger's deck with like Horseshoe Crab and Hermetic Study and try to like and like High Tide, like dumb stuff like that. But that's just like, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So thank you so much, Josh. I know our listeners will love it. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to get more Tim love out there in the world. I'll have a whole bunch of Prodigal Sorcerers signed by Josh Lee Kwai for Patreon supporters at the $6 level or higher. To get this special gift from Josh, just go to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Thank you for your support. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. CardKingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for chase rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com KTM. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. Okay, everyone, and we're back. Josh, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I am ready, Sam. Okay, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? Blue, 100% blue. It's really easy. It's the best color of all time. <laughs> okay, okay, great. And is there another color that you would pair it with? Or 
Green, 100% green. Wow, that's awesome. You're you're not the first and you're not the last. Um, you know, Marshall Sutcliffe said that. I said that as well. It's just like, hmm, really interesting. Jimmy probably said blue-red is my guess. I think he did, yeah. I think he did. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I've got him pegged. <laughs> you just know him really. He's like, oh, an open book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I spend a lot of time with him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Josh, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? Uh, I've been on a crusade for a little while here to um, reduce the commander ban list. Just get some things unbanned. Oh, okay. What would you get unbanned? Oh, I think I would probably do like, for one thing, I don't think Prophet of Crufix needed to be banned. There's a whole bunch of stuff on there that I think is sort of questionable. I think like Sylvan Primordial could probably come off. There's a few others. Are they broken? Yes, 100%. But there's a lot of stuff that's broken. I just would rather the ban list was as slim and sleek as it possibly can be. Got it. Yeah, I was really sad to see Prophet of Kufrex get banned because I just picked up that foil promo art for it that I was oh, like... Oh, I have like four of those and every time I see them, it makes me want to cry. I know because they're so pretty too. Yeah, with the <laughs> thousand arms and the... Yeah, gosh, don't even talk about it, Sam. Thanks a lot. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Josh, question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Hmm. Can I take something away? Sure. I would take away salt. Oh, okay. Calm down, everybody. It's cool. You're going to be fine. You're going to be just fine. It's not that big of a deal. Just take a deep breath. Count to 10. You're good. Don't tilt off. <laughs> take a sip of water. <laughs> like, you're yep. going to be fine. Yep. <laughs> okay. I love it. I love it. Josh, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? Well, we're in this era where you kind of got to adapt or die as far as digital. And we've seen just the internet and digital just devouring everything in its path. And so, I really hope that magic can figure out a way to evolve to the point where it can exist in its digital form because I'm worried long term that if it doesn't, that there's just not going to be a, a, any place for it to exist really. Mm -hmm. So, that's kind of a downer, but I really do believe like, you know, the internet devoured, man, everything, everything, the the music business, it, it devoured, you know, electronic stores and it devoured uh, just anything you can think of. And it's coming for the stuff that it didn't already sort of gobble up. So, magic's yeah. in the path and I hope that they can figure that out because... That's that's sort of my big long-term worry for the game is that it's it's going to flounder the way it has been and then the world just won't be set up in a way that an analog game can really exist like it does now. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. And last, Josh, do you have any asks or requests of the audience? You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at Josh Lee Kwai. You can follow the Command Zone at CommandCast. Uh, we talked about the Patreon already, but the biggest thing, if anybody's a fan of game nights out there, the number one biggest thing is just spread the word about it. You know, that's that's the biggest thing that's going to help that show out is just letting people know that it exists, giving them a chance to try it out. You know, we have pretty good evidence that if people are exposed to it, that they do tend to like it. And so, we're just trying to get the word out there so as many people can watch it as possible. And that's going to really be the best chance to make sure that game nights sticks around. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. And I really highly recommend everyone check out the uh, Game Nights video series on YouTube and also support the Command Zone on Patreon because, you know, all of these things help. And, you know, listeners, you don't have to help in every single way, but you can do kind of what is right for you because, you know, uh, Jimmy and Josh, like, 
they're listening. They are they're part of the community. They're listening to your feedback and they want to do their best to make the best thing for listeners and viewers as well as the community. And also, I just got to say, Josh, like I really wanted to thank you because when you started to make Game Nights with Jimmy, I was just like my breath was taken away. I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. This thing has just fallen out of the sky into our laps. And it's just like the greatest visualization of the game. Like it makes me want to play the game. It makes me just so excited to be with friends, to be with other people in the community. It makes me excited for the product. It makes me excited for the funny rules interactions. And like everyone who's a magic player can get that feeling. And even if you're not a magic player, because I mean, still, there's tons of cards that I have not yet played with. I get excited and I want to experience that. And so it's just like such a rare feeling that what you're doing, Josh, and what you and Jimmy are making and what you also, it takes a lot of courage to step up and like create something like that, put yourself on the line, not just like your like your face and your voice, but also your time and your energy. Like, thank you so much for all of that. You know, like, it's really incredible to have someone like you in the community. And I'm incredibly grateful that you're here. So thank you, Josh. Well, I really appreciate that, Sam. And I would say to everyone out there that you and so many others are doing the exact same thing that we're doing. And everybody out there in the community inspires us every day. So that's really, it's a big, great, big, awesome circle that we can all sort of support each other, inspire each other and marvel at what each other are doing. So thanks to you, Sam. Thanks to everybody else out there that's making content and everybody that's thinking about making content. I had a great time talking to Josh. Go say hi to him on Twitter at Josh Lee Kwai. That's J-O-S-H-L-E-E-K-W-A-I. You can find episodes of the Command Zone podcast at collected.company. Game Nights is on YouTube where it can be easily found by searching for Game Nights with a K. That's Knight or Knife. I'll have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's show. I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters. Brian, James L., Marcus, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M., Neil, James G., Aaron C., Jonathan, Corey, Chad, James E., Joe, Logan, Scott, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie, and Geraint. Supporters at the $6 level or higher are getting a signed copy of Prodigal Sorcerer or Tim from Josh Lee Kwai. Listeners, if you'd like to support the show and get special gifts from my guests, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeping it running by helping to pay for audio equipment, software, and server costs. Now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link cardkingdom.com slash KTM. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. If you haven't heard already, I've created a new YouTube channel called Play MTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash play MTG. Special thanks to Dev for the shout out on his YouTube channel that helped me get a bunch of new subscribers. I really appreciate your support, Dev. 
follow the channel on Twitter at play underscore MTG. It's also on Facebook at facebook.com slash play MTG, all one word. I'm looking forward to creating new content and I've got some collaborations and new videos in the works. Be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast. The show is on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at kitchentablemagic.org. If you're new to the show, there's plenty of past episodes to listen to, and please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic sitting next to Chapin in this next draft. I ended up drafting Teamer, which is the color combination he was in the day before, and he beat me with. Uh, so I'm playing Teamer, and I'm like, I guess Chapin, because he was passing me. I'm like, I guess Chapin doesn't want to be Teamer. You know, I'm like feeling pretty good about my deck, and uh, I end up taking this High Spire Mantis, like fourth pick. For those who don't know, High Spire Mantis is a 3-3 Flampler, so it has Flying and Trample, and it's like a pretty strong card, and I was like pretty excited to pick it up. I think I picked it up like fourth and thought it was late, so pretty happy about all that. I build my deck. Uh, and I think it's like, okay, it's not great, but I think I can probably 2-1 again like I did yesterday. So round nine, I'm playing against Li Shi Chan. He beats me game one. Game two, I'm like in an okay spot. I like draw and I'm like, okay. I go to play my High Spire Mantis. Like I tap the lands and I'm holding the card in my hand. And all of a sudden before I cast it, I realized for the first time that High Spire Mantis costs two red white when I am in blue, red, and green and just have no way in my deck to cast the card. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the card was blue, green. Like, there's just like, no. I, was, I thought it was red, blue, I think. And it was just like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? And I just like, oh, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody sheepishly untap their lands, but like, this was probably the most sheepish I've ever been in my entire life. And then I got crushed. I mean, like, <laughs> I had a card in my hand that I couldn't cast. The worst part was that I had to play it in the next two rounds of this draft. I had to start this card because you have to play the deck you registered. So I'm like, God, I hope I don't draw the highest spider mantis. If somebody plays a discard effect, do I just concede instead of showing them the shame? I'm talking to SCG writer, tournament grinder, streamer, and pro player, Jadeen Klomperens. You just heard Jadeen share about the time she drafted some interesting choices at Pro Tour Cons of Tarkir. She's not just some chilled out magic player who likes to hang out with Emma Handy all the time. Jadeen's well known on the SCG Tour and is a longtime writer that uses terms like zone-based position analysis in her articles. Do you know what zone-based position analysis is? Cause I don't. So if you want to find out what kind of a person writes things like that, listen to my hilarious interview with The Quiet Fish, Jadeen Klomperens, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.